Welcome to the second Essential Trades podcast. My name is Marie-Louise Moller and joining me today to discuss the outlook for the first quarter of 2016 is Peter Garnery, Head of Equity Strategy at Saxo Bank and Simon Fastel, Head of Fixed Income Strategy. Mind the Gap is the title of the first quarter Essential Trades publication available on tradingfloor.com. And it's all about what will happen in the markets as the U.S. Fed embarks on the first rate hiking cycle in almost a decade. And Simon, what is going to be the main thing for bond investors as the Fed continues to hike rates? The climate we have for the last four or five years has been a climate where investors have seen the price of money extremely low. Now we begin very slowly to see the price of money going to a normal level and that brings in a lot of issues regarding to which investments investors should aim their focus because there will be a split between uh, assets that have good balance sheets, good views uh, going forward, good stories for countries and then the split to the more challenged countries and corporates and and that split we will really see that in 2016 as a big uh, as a big theme for investors and and we will i think will be the clarification will come maybe second quarter third quarter but we will see this split as we see the price of money increase and is that also going to be the theme for equity investors peter whenever we've had an expansion then in the most times actually equities have gone up and the rationale is quite simple that when the fit when the Fed begins to hike rates, it's normally on the backdrop of a stronger economy. So <clears throat> in that environment, it implies that you have decent sales growth and margin expansion uh, across companies. You don't, ha- you don't have the margin expansion at the moment. You have low growth. But the Fed is saying that the current environment is temporary and we will see a pickup in 16. They are preemptively hiking rates because they do believe that inflation and, and growth is coming higher in 2016. Whether that will be the case or not, uh, we'll have to see, and if it's not the case, they will uh, they will slow down the, uh, the 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 rate hikes. So I'm not particularly worried. Uh, normally, uh, I have a slightly different view than Simon, but normally I wouldn't be worried about uh, weak balance sheets and over leveraged companies, even when you have rate hikes, because it's on the backdrop of a strong economy. But this time around, what we have seen is that uh, the weakest energy company has been hit extremely hard. But it's not so much because the uh, financing rates have gone high. It's actually an, uh, an exogenous uh, shock to the energy sector because of falling oil prices. And that's what we are seeing. But it's, uh, it's amplifying the, uh, the, um, the effects that we're seeing in energy. And, and Simon can talk much more about that. There we have massive dislocation in terms of liquidity. And it's very difficult to get prices on, on, on high-yield energy stock uh, bonds. And, and the stocks have get hammered. And we're just waiting for a domino effect in terms of bankruptcies in, in that sector. So your outlook for the energy sector for the first quarter is pretty dismal. We, we think we, we, we titled uh, our equity outlook as the end game, the energy end game. So we, we think we are now moving into the final phase where we'll see the liquidations and the bankruptcies in that sector. And then the strongest energy companies and drillers will come out on the other side and there will be a future. I mean, I think uh, a lot of prominent investors have been out saying lately that the dynamics in the oil market is still in, in such a way that you have demand growing quite healthy uh, in the global economy. We don't, have, we don't all have EV cars yet, right? So demand is there and supply will be constrained because the U.S. is cutting down on production. So I don't think the uh, $30 to $35 uh, per barrel is uh, feasible. So I think longer term, I think there are some quite attractive opportunities in energy, but not in the Q1. 
So with the balance sheet in focus, Simon, if we can return to, to bonds and especially corporate bonds, what specifically as a bond investor should I be, be looking out for when I look at the balance sheet of a company? When you have a price of money that, that rises, you will see a magnification of riskier uh, bonds. Uh, maybe some of them already have the, the right price, you can say, but, but uh, you will see this magnification. You will see spreads go higher you will see uh, the price per risk unit in, uh, let's say, uh, LATAM or emerging markets will go higher. You will see that for triple C, uh, single B corporates, the price will go higher because the price per risk unit is higher. Uh, having said that, uh, there might be sectors and countries where the price have already moved to the new level. Uh, you can say uh, before it, it should. And, and in that case, you're looking at some investment opportunities. Uh, so our view here from the beginning is uh, we still favor emerging markets, but we are much more selective. Uh, we are very cautious on some of our uh, normal top countries like Russia and Brazil, uh, which we had quite good luck in in 2015. Now we believe that, that there is uh, some more risk factors that we need to consider. And especially in Q1, we think it will be challenging for both countries. Uh, so we focus on more safe bets in, in emerging markets like India with a good growth story, Mexico, uh, Indonesia, South Korea. These are a more uh, good stories. So the more challenging stories, despite having a huge risk premium, we prefer to stay out because we see bias being very hesitant there. We believe later on that this could be major opportunity as soon as we see uh, eventually uh, the global growth uh, pick up and we see the whole global economy improving a bit. Then you'll see investors return into the major BRICS countries as well. I'm here and completely agree with Simon and Simon and I did a webinar uh, for sexual clients but also non-sexual clients where we sort of uh, looked at trading ideas for 2016 and, and one of the headlines we had in that webinar was so the divergence of 2016 and that sort of really strikes the conclusion point from Simon here that that I think we have mo we're moving from a previous environment where you could just be long everything every risky asset no matter the quality because you had the QE or just uh, inflating and 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 surge in asset prices, asset inflation. So, but now we're moving out of that environment, and we are, I think, more than ever, uh, at least in, in the last uh, seven years, in a new environment where you have to pick stuff. You need to pick equities, you need to pick bonds, and you need to be much more selective on a country level, sector level, and even on specific instruments. And it's all down to quality uh, trajectories for the for the macro outlook for that specific specific sector or um, country. So here, I completely agree with Simon, and I think. We, we also have a very constructive, positive view on, on EM, but you still have to be extremely selective here. Uh, we were probably a little bit too early in, uh, in our uh, Brazil trade. Some of the indicators are actually turning now for Brazil, but it's still a very, very troubling uh, environment for, for that country and specifically. And if we don't see a bounce back in commodities or we see a too aggressive uh, Fed hike, I, I think really uh, Brazil could get into a really deep trouble and that would hurt both the bond and the equities in that uh, particular market. But speaking of picking, you do have some stock favorites for this quarter. Can you enlighten us on those? Yeah, so um, we, 
Uh, if we start from the top down, our, our view is quite simple. We, we, favor, we favor European and Japanese equities. Uh, you might say, what an idiot, because those, specifically those two markets have underperformed in the first week of 2016 uh, compared to US equities. But we do believe that the environment and the valuation are much more attractive in those two markets. There are more aggressive QE. There's a, a more expansionary fiscal policies in both regions, despite what you hear about austerity in Europe. Whereas in the US, you're getting very close to, uh, to a balanced budget. So you don't have the expansionary effects from the government side. Uh, the uh, monetary policy is getting tighter in the US. And uh, you have strong dollar, which is uh, curbing foreign profits for US companies. So we like European and Japanese equities. We like everything that is export related because of the weak euro and weak yen. We like the uh, consumption driven stocks. Uh, and in the US, we like uh, financials because of the uh, higher rates coming. Um, and we just launched the global uh, equity model, um, which now includes APEC and EM. And I think the dominant theme here is actually that a lot of the stocks that are getting selected by our model is uh, airliners, it's automobiles, it's, uh, and it's consumption stocks. So everything that sort of benefits from lower commodity prices and lower energy prices. Now, Simon, um, divergence is something you've be talked about quite a lot. And, and I think now with the Fed, embarking on this hiking cycle. We've got more QE coming from the ECB. How is that going to impact everything? What we can see from Japan and US is that QE works slowly into the, uh, the economy, but uh, definitely into the asset classes. It's a very long uh, ride. But actually, if we look at US and Japan, we can see that the three, four versions of QE have worked their way into especially equities. And this is also why we still favor uh, both U European equities, but also European riskier asset classes in bonds. Uh, furthermore, looking at sectors, I think Peter will agree that, that something like uh, airliners uh, with, with the oil price here, uh, looking at these uh, from a bond perspective also looks quite favorable. Uh, so this is where we, we, uh, we could say there is uh, one clear bet from us uh, first quarter here in, uh, in European space. Uh, so European bonds is more or less uh, our top pick. And again, we need to look at the maturities but because if still we see spillover from eventually higher yields in US, we will see the higher end of the, the longer end of the European yield curve going higher as well. So we need to be careful on the maturities as well. So we favor maturities out to three to five years in uh, medium to high yield space. Now, um, if we look back to 2015, it was a year with lots of market volatility. Do you see that volatility continuing in the first quarter of 2016 and perhaps even increasing? The, the good thing is actually that it's, it's, this industry or our job, Simon's and I job, is, is it's very difficult to predict returns and direction of prices. It's much more easier to actually predict volatility and... and uh, the, um, the research shows that when you have high volatility, you can expect high volatility to continue. It only sort of gradually uh, slows down uh, and gets, uh, gets more benign again. So yes, uh, this elevated value, uh, volatility that we saw in 15 and in the beginning of 16 will likely be here for some time. Um, there's, I, 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 I don't quite, I, I think it was an overreaction what we have seen this first week, first of all. I think the mac macro picture does not warrant a, a 6% decline in European equities, in, the, in, in German equities, for instance, in the first week. Uh, I don't think that's uh, reflecting the true underlying state of the global economy at all. Um, however, it does, ref it does reflect a huge amount of uncertainty. Uh, I mean, 
it, it's it's very classic that we're seeing right now that uh, that investors are worried. So we, we the slightest story on Iran and Saudi Arabia, everyone is running for the exit, right? You have uh, North Korea talking about the successful hydrogen bomb. I mean, it sounds crazy, but even that is enough to push futures. It really shows you how fragile the sentiment is. And I think also that goes back to some of the uh, interviews that we, we did in 2015, where everyone was talking, are we in a bubble? Are we in a bubble in equities, bubble in risky assets? And I, personally, I think uh, when I meet professionals here at Saxo Bank and when I, I, I read commentaries from, from other uh, analysts at banks, I think we're still in an environment where you have one camp which is sort of moderately bullish and, and look for the positive things in the economy. And then you have the other camp which is still extremely negative and believe that the world can fall apart and that we will see massive deflation, you know, chaos. And I think as long as you have an environment where you have two large camps in, uh, in this way, you, we, we are not in a bubble. I think we have much more balanced markets actually. It's not, we're not in the 2000 where everyone is just cheering for, for higher prices. It, it's, that's not how it and, and it shows you how much a shock uh, the financial crisis and the aftermath with zero interest rate have been to the financial community. I don't think private consumers think that much. I think it's a very much uh, this finan finance industry phenomenon that we are sort of either thinking that things will go okay or everything will just go you know, into a basket. Do you share this view, Simon? Yes, uh, completely. I, I think uh, both that we have a balanced uh, situation now uh, where we have actually right now a, lo a lot of, uh, you can say, the no camp is, is growing and all bad news at the moment gets a lot of attention. And, and that is quite unusual for a Jan because normally it's a fresh money month, but no one talks about that both US and Europe is much better off if we go just two, three years back. Also look at Europe. We are more or less out of the very... Uh, the very worst part of the like the Greek crisis, we we have a better situation. We have a situation that can be improved, of course, but a lot of things are much better off. Uh, some emerging market countries have lower growth. Yes, I completely agree. But look at their share of a, of the global growth is extremely low, like uh, Russia, Brazil, compared to the combined growth of US and Europe, which is. Actually, the only thing we should worry about looking at global growth is the growth in US and Europe. So if we can get that growth a bit higher, everything will be okay. And that is also, I guess, what Peter and I think will come as a theme later on, that actually things looks a bit better. Finally, on the commodity thing, everyone now believes that a low oil price will kill all asset classes. Remember that a low oil price for many economies boosts the GDP, at the same time, lower inflation. So for some countries like India, it has been like a miracle with the low oil price. And the impact to Europe of a low oil price is also very healthy. So there's a lot of countries that benefit from a low oil price. But we, right now, we only focus on the bad things. The Middle East, the Russian economy, Venezuela, Brazil, Norway, we don't focus on actually the healthy benefits of a low oil price. Exactly, because you can see uh, the, if I jump in here, the, the, if you look at the retail sales figures that we're getting out from Europe, I mean, we are printing plus 3% real retail sales, year and year growth rates in Europe. I mean, who would have imagined that two years ago, right? So I think what Simon says, I think the, the low energy prices will slowly filter into the economy. And I think I, I, I write about this in the, in the outlook. Uh, I, look at the, um, I look at the leverage of energy companies and it has just exploded to you know, record levels in the last 20 years for energy companies. And I asked the rhetoric question, will, it have, uh, will this effect has a spillover effect into 
the overall market and economy. And my simple point is, no, it will not. Because everyone's saying, okay, this energy can explode and then it will trigger into other sectors. I think it will be an isolated case like what we had in with the dot-com bubble. Uh, and it will not be a housing uh, a housing domino effect like the one we had in, in 07 uh, and uh, 08. Because from the simple fact that financials are much, much less leveraged than they were prior, uh, just leading up to the financial crisis. So even though there might be a lot of losses uh, on bond portfolios, uh, the falls uh, and low recovery rates in the energy sector, it's not enough to really, you know, make an impact for financials. They are so much more well capitalized today that I think they can easily absorb uh, the challenges that we're seeing in the energy sector. And on that note, it's time to wrap up this podcast. You can find more analysis from the Saxo Bank strategist on tradingfloor.com and by following the team on Twitter.